Let's open our Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we left off with verse 6. If you'll remember, in the 6th verse, we said, As far as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This is also vanity. This also is vanity. So we pick up with verse 7. Verse 7. Notice it says, uh, Better... Uh, uh, no, uh, 7 says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Actually, uh, oppression can corrupt a wise man, and bribery also is a corruptive evil. So it says, A gift destroyeth the heart. So this is a corruptive evil for a bribe to be taken, and oppression corrupts a man that is wise. It not only destroys the heart, but it corrupts the heart. Verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Sometimes we do not know how things will end up. They may begin on a rough road. There may be a lot of need of patience. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So we have to learn to... To face the problems of life. And in divine providence, actually, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. You know, if you think of Jacob of old, remember old Jacob? He had a terrible beginning in a sense. He was running away from home, fleeing from Esau. He got down and he got cheated several times by his father-in-law and all the things that transpired, and finally he connived his way out of that. And then in, late, in his latter years, we find that uh, when his sons had gone down, you know, Joseph, he thought he was killed. And uh, old Jacob was thinking about all of his family, and, and he, he says, Jacob is not, and Simeon is not, and they wanted to take Benjamin away. And he said, all these things are against me. And really, they were not against him. The end of it was that... Joseph was sent down into Egypt to preserve the whole family, to provide for him during the famine. And finally, when uh, uh, Jacob was on his way down and, and the wagons were coming to take him and all that, and he said, then his heart, the heart of old Jacob revived. And the end of it turned out pretty good, didn't it? And sometimes you and I are like Jacob. We say, all these things are against me. We see the, we see the things that are transpiring, the beginning of all the problems of life, and we don't think that the end thereof will be better. It says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So sometimes we just have to be patient. The Bible says that uh, you've heard of the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord, right? So the patience of Job, and it turned out for his good at the end. Notice in verse 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. If a man is too quick to be angry, he loses his temper. You know, impatience in adversity is a mark of a fool. The wise are able to control their reactions. You know, it would be well if all of us could learn to control our reactions to things. Sometimes we react, and then in about five minutes later, we see it was a bad deal, wasn't it? We really overreact and we it's just anger a wise man put off his guard may feel feel it for a moment and you know if you're put off your guard even though you may have wisdom you may feel it for a moment but in him it cannot rest it can, anger cannot rest in the heart of a wise person it may be there for a moment it may rise up 
unexpectedly, but you cannot live with it. That's why it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, because if you want a good night's sleep, you better get rid of it before you go to sleep. The best thing in the world for an individual is that night, before he goes to bed, and before you even attempt to sleep, is get all the slate clean, both with yourself and God, all the things out of the way, pray for all kinds of forgiveness that you might need, pray to have a a loving spirit, forgiving and sympathetic heart, and, and, and you can go to bed and sleep. You get it all right with God, and, and if you have anything against someone else, we'll pray about that and get that out of the way. Just don't have anything like that. Remember, Jesus said that if you pray to forgive us of our trespasses, we pray that in the, the disciples' prayer, the one that Jesus taught them to pray, forgive us of our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us, And Jesus went ahead to say, For if ye forgive not men of their trespasses, you know what the next statement is? Neither will your heavenly Father, and if you're from some other parts of the country, it's neither, but neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. So the thing about it is we have to have a forgiving spirit. And if we have that, God will bless you. And uh, that's what we need. Uh, notice the next verse. It says in verse uh, 10, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Do not call God into question for making the former days better than the, the present days. In fact, sometimes the evaluation is not very accurate anyway. Have you ever seen fellows say, Give me the good old days? And by the way, those good old days, if you look back, they wasn't quite as good as a lot of people think. I've been in the good old days too. And some of those good old days were pretty rough. I'll take now for what God has done. And you know, onward and upward and forward is better. Because I've been, and most of us, a lot of us have been in some of the good old days during the Depression. I remember as a little boy, I had... I was hungry. We had very little to eat, no money, no job. My mother was washing clothes on a rub board, if, y'all, if some of you can remember what that is, and rinsing the clothes in an old number two or three wash tub from one uh, tub to another and wringing them out by hand. And that's a, not an easy chore if you've ever tried that. It's not as quite as easy as a spin dry or even the old wringer that you'd run them through. And... Uh, wringing them out by hand, hang them out on the line, hoping they, that there'd be enough sunshine to dry them, and then get them ready to, to uh, do the laundry for somebody and make a quarter to 50 cents for all that big washing. Now you pay, what, dollar six bits for a shirt to be done. You know, the good old days, they weren't so good sometimes. So it says, say not what is the cause that the former days, in other words, to question God about it, the former days were better than these. For thou dost, dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You do not re, uh, inquire out of wisdom concerning this, wisely. We do not evaluate very accurately. Look at verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Okay, wisdom is good with an inheritance, or with wealth, it might say. And by it there is profit to them that see the sun, or the living men. Wisdom, without a doubt, is a great advantage. And you and I ought to be thankful for wisdom. But the profit is to the living men. You know, in all the things that uh, you might try to receive 
from this book of Ecclesiastes in comparing earthly things with earthly things. When we evaluate earthly things with earthly things, we're always in a, in a puzzlement. We do not know which is the best. And we're going to find that all through the, the Ecclesiastes here, when the preacher is trying to figure it out, he'll figure it out one way, and he said, no, this is pretty good. And then he'll turn right around and say, you know, that wasn't as good as I thought. He said, this is better. And then he finally says, neither one of them is any good. He says, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I've come to my wit's end. I don't know really what is better. And when a man looks at life from the natural standpoint, we do not know what is better. You'll see the rich and the poor. You'll see the bond and the free. And you'll see somebody that's getting along better in life without uh, any uh, uh, hardships that's uh, wicked as can be. And the other person that's righteous trying to do the best he can and he's having to struggle. And you try to figure it out. It's, it's a puzzle, isn't it? They say, well, that person's a good Christian. They go to church and they, they pay their tithes and they try to live a Christian life. And look at all the problems they've had. Well, that's just a part of life that we don't understand. Anyway, it's hard for us to figure out. And a lot of people come to some uh, rash judgments in the case and they don't understand really what, uh, what they're doing and, and they come to a conclusion without uh, knowledge. And we need the New Testament and the revelation of God to give us the real spiritual insight and bring us into the knowledge of higher things and better things than this life. And if we'll remember the words of this preacher, Ecclesiastes, that he is saying time and time again, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and vexation of spirit. Vanity means meaningless. It means worthless. And then vexation of spirit is like chasing the wind. Do you think you can catch that? Not really. So look at verse 12 now. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Wisdom gives life to the soul. It's better to leave ourselves in the hands of the Lord than to make a choice in our ignorance. And sometimes the wisdom, when we make choices, we do not make wise choices. Verse 13, consider the work of God, the providence of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Man is powerless to change things, except by the new revelation in God's Word tells us that we're to go to God in prayer and trust Him to do the changing. How many of us would like to change things for people that are in great straits and having terrible uh, troubles of various kinds? We'd like to go in there in just a moment and say, we can fix that. We can't fix that. I appreciate all your prayers for my condition. Because I know that's the only avenue. And God is the only answer. I don't know why these things happen. I don't know why the things happen to you that happen to you. And you try to figure it out and you'll be left with a bigger puzzle than you know what to do with. Than you know how to solve. But the main thing is us to trust in the Lord. And I think all of these things of human nature are really that we'll learn to trust God in all of our situations. Whether it's financial straits, needs, or physical, or material, or spiritual, or uh whatever they may be, that we'll learn to depend upon God for everything. So, the next verse, verse 14, it says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. Look at that. In the day of prosperity be joyful. You can be happy when things prosper, can't you? But in the day of adversity consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end. Look at this. To the end that man should find nothing after him. In other words, 
When you have received temporal gifts, you better enjoy them and thank God for them. And God has balanced prosperity and adversity. He has balanced those things. God has balanced prosperity with adversity according to his providence so that man may be totally dependent upon him. This trust in divine providence is the only sufficient protection against the evil which is inevitably to come upon us. Notice, to the end that man should find nothing after him. We don't know what's going to be in the future. Look at that verse again. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other. He wants one to balance out the other. We do not always have prosperity. We sometimes have adversity. We do not always have adversity, thank God. Sometimes we have prosperity. And all of it is for a purpose that we might realize that we don't know what's in the future exactly. Someone says, I want a fortune teller. I want somebody to tell me the future. I'd rather not know. If it's good, I know that God's going to give it. And if it's bad, I'd rather not face it till I get there, right? I don't want to face it now and then have to face it when it comes. Someone says, oh, you'd enjoy knowing about your future. Not me. My future's in the hands of God. I remember Dr. Oldham, he'd had a heart transplant, one of the oldest, I believe the oldest person that ever had one at that particular time. And it, he lived about three, was it three or four years after that and taught, kept on teaching in the seminary. But he says, I will not, he said, I'll tell you when I'm going to die. Exactly when God gets ready to take me. He says, not a minute before and not, not a minute later. And he felt that way about life. I remember he used to say, you know, Whatever is to be, will be, whether it ever happens or not. Let that sink in a bit. Okay. To the end that man should find nothing after him. Look at verse 15 now. It says, All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. Look here. Here's a just man that perishes in his righteousness. And he says, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. That doesn't seem fair, does it? A just man to perish in his righteousness. We might call this life's great mystery. Someone says, why did that young man, that young person that had their life before them, they were really good, they were not wicked, they were trying to live and do right, why was their life snatched out? Why is this old wicked guy that is sinful and, and corrupt and atheistic and unbelieving and treats everybody mean and every, everything that could be said is bad about him and he, his life just goes on? It's a great mystery of life, isn't it? You know, remember David in the, 70, or the psalmist in 73rd Psalm? He says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet were on slippery ground. He says, I was envious at the foolish. He said, their voice cried out against God and they, they were cursing God and they uh, did not fear death and oppression and all kinds of things. And he says, and for me, I've cleansed my hands in vain. He said, I washed my hands in innocency. And he said, what did it profit me to try to live a Christian life? And then he says, when I sought to know this. I went into the, the tabernacle of God, into the presence of God. And then I understood therein. Then he understood what God was doing. Sometimes we just have to get a little closer to God to understand that we don't know all about the future. And that the wicked prosper sometimes and the righteous perish in their, 
in their righteousness. All things have I seen the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Look at verse 16 and 17. 16 says, 16 and 17 go together, by the way. It says, um, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Do you think you're righteous? Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? With this attitude is self-destructing. Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Solomon was saying, live in moderation rather than excess. That's his counsel. Live in moderation. But you know, the Bible teaches that godliness is profitable unto all in the New Testament. Having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. But for a person to profess to be righteous... Parading one's righteousness and forgetting that our sinfulness is great and our need of repentance is great. Profess loudly one's own wisdom and forget that the inadequacy in understanding the divine ways we do not understand. Be not over-righteous much, neither make thyself over-wise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not over-much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? In other words, there's a moderation in all this. Don't think yourself more righteous than you are, and don't be any more wicked than you have to be. All of us are sinners, right? Come to a happy meeting and re- realize that when you... Uh, try to live a righteous life, you're still not over much righteous, are you? You're still sinful. And certainly do not yield to, to wickedness that could beset us all. I want you to notice verse 18. And it sums up verses 16 and 17. It says, It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, of this thing that we just talked about. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Solomon's counsel is to hold fast to wisdom and righteousness, for both characterize the man who reveres God and shows reverence toward God. You might say if you want to sum it up, get what you can in an honest way and do not forget God. Be honest about it. Don't forget God. Verse 19 says, Wisdom strengthens the wise, more than ten mighty men which are in the city. Look at that. Wisdom, what? Strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. By wisdom, you can fortify and defend the city. Remember that we're told that a man that controls his own spirit is mightier than he that taketh a strong city. In the, in the Psalms, or Proverbs rather, isn't it? So, a man that controls his spirit has a great deal of strength and is more capable of winning the battle of life than a man that is a conqueror that can go out and take a strong city. And by the way, we're not usually trying to win the victory in war and take cities and nations down. We're usually trying to fight the battles of life. And so if, if that's what's needed in, in the battles of life, well, that's what we ought to try to have. Verse 20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. This shows us that all of us are sinners, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the way, it doesn't say there is not a sinner on earth that do, does good and sins not. It says there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. It means that not any of us can claim sinlessness. All have sinned and all are sinners. 
Look at verse 21. It says, Also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. There's a need for self-restraint in the face of humiliation. Don't take everyone's opinion too seriously. Look, take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Have you seen people that just take everyone's opinion about things? Listen to everyone's opinion. And then you go make up your own mind and you have to do what the Lord leads you to do. Be not over, overly judgmental or vindictive about things. Some people judge everything that comes along. They say, I know why this happened to him and I know why that happened to her. And look at their life. This is what's going to happen. And we predict it. And we're vindictive and we're judgmental. And we don't know a thing. We may think we know. But God knows the secrets of hearts, doesn't He? And we, we try to become so judgmental. And, uh, you know, sometimes we may hit it. Sometimes we may miss it. But we probably miss as much as we hit. Because we haven't got it all figured out. And it says, Take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. So be, be ready to understand that we do not always have the right advice. It says in verse 22, look at this, For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. See that in verse 22? We all at times have given the wrong advice. To someone, we've told them, "Well, you do this." Lo and behold, we found out it wasn't too good of advice that we gave. You know, the best thing we could do to an individual, if we're trying to guide them, is say, "Let's look in God's Word and see if He has an answer for us," and start trying to figure it out from that standpoint, instead of us thinking we have all the wisdom and guidance that, that is needed and say, now do this, do that, do the other. Because a lot of times our advice is not good either. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou hast thyself likewise hast cursed others because of your advice that you cursed others. You didn't just curse them and curse them because you wanted something bad to happen to them, but because of your instructions. Look in verse 23. All this, all from verse 15. When it says, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity, verse 15, be not overmuch righteous, verse 16, be not overmuch wicked, verse 17, uh, it is good that thou shouldst take hold of this, verse 18, wisdom strengthens the wise, verse 19, more than, and all of it, you, on down to where we studied, verse 23 says, all this have I proved by wisdom, I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me, he thought he had figured it out. And he come to find out that he he hadn't figured it out yet. I sought more wisdom, but I sought more wisdom, but I'd fallen short. I really didn't hadn't the understanding I wanted. Though Solomon was the wisest of men, his wisdom was insufficient to comprehend all the mysteries of life. And if Solomon's wisdom was insufficient to comprehend the mysteries of life, how much more do you see you and I not being able to comprehend the mysteries of life? The Bible says Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived outside of the Lord. It says there's no greater wisdom than Solomon. You've known the wisdom of Solomon. And God gave him wisdom above all the men, the other kings. Look at verse 24. It says, That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? God appears transcendent. And elusive. Wisdom is beyond our understanding of God. The Bible says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? That which is far off and exceeding deep, the deep things, who can find it out? Sometimes you and I think that we find it out. Salvation is easy to understand. 
We say, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's simple. Paul said that I don't want to rob you of the simplicity, as Satan beguiled Eve, the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes the plan of salvation very simple. Most of every Sunday school uh, boy or girl can quote John 3.16. If they can't, they should learn it. What does it say? We say it's so simple. It's God's simple message of salvation. Listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But what does this verse say? That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? And even though we may think we understand something, have you ever thought about John 3.16 in a deeper way? We say, that's very simple. Whoever believes on Christ, God loved us and He gave His Son, and whoever believes on Him is not going to perish, but have everlasting life. That's about the sum of it, isn't it? And yet, you look into it, and there are depths that will drown a theological world. It says, for God so loved. Can you measure that love? The world, the world of humanity, ungodly, wicked, sinful men, that he gave. How would God give such a great gift? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. From, from the scope of not perishing, from perishing to having everlasting life. Well, you see the difference in the simplicity of it and the depths of it? Look at verse 25. I applied mine heart to know. In other words, I really tried to know. I wanted to know. Determined to know. To investigate and seek out wisdom. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. By the way, wisdom requires a diligent search. We're not going to be uh, very wise if we do not diligently search the things of God. And reason of things, and to know the wickedness of folly, even foolishness and madness. He said, I applied my heart to all this. But verse 26 says, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart it snares and nets, and her hands its bands, who pleaseth uh, God. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. He wanted to know wisdom, and then he found that there was something else. He found nothing more dangerous than this kind of a woman. No snare is so effective as the immoral woman. This is a warning to all. No snare is as effective. I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart it snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. The only hope, the only one who will escape from this kind is the one that pleases God. But the sinner shall be taken by her. Reminded me of old Joseph, doesn't it, you? Back in the Old Testament. Boy, he left his coat behind. The woman ripped off his coat and he took off. He said it's better to run than to get in more trouble. Of course, he was falsely accused and you know the story. But the Bible tells us to, to uh, flee. Also youthful lust. And it tells us to flee idolatry. And it tells us to flee certain things. And to get away from them. And you and I have to be on guard. Because the Bible teaches that that's exactly the thing that will snare men in the, in the, the, the immoral woman. Look at verse uh, 27. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the accounting. What did he say? Weighing one thing after another to find out the reason. Carefully sifting out things, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. A rarity indeed is to find a woman among all those thousands. A man as well. Though God 
made men upright. They've corrupted themselves by their pursuits of foolishness and pleasure. Lo, only this have I found. This only have I found that God had made man upright. But they have sought out many inventions. They've tried to... to uh, Whatever evil is not found among men and women is not of God. What evil now found among men and women is not of God. The inventions or devices or imaginations, the strange use of and sovereign abuses. We abuse the things that are divinely given. We'll just give you a verse or two of this next one. Look at chapter 8. Who is as a wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Who is equal to a wise man? Who has the understanding of a wise man? Or the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. In other words, here's a man that is a source of blessing to other people. Here's a man that makes his face to shine. Here's a man that is changed from hardness to gentleness. The boldness of his face shall be changed. Here's a man who speaks with confidence. Verse 2 says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. To keep the, the king's commandment, or to obey the authorities for God's sake. The Bible says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. To obey the laws of state and government. You know, I, I truly believe that every Christian, every child of God, makes a better citizen than anyone else I know. If, you, if you're a child of God, you're taught by the Word of God to obey the laws of the land. And all of these people that are always rebelling against this and that and the other, doesn't mean you shouldn't have your voice in things. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't vote. You ought to express your opinion at the booth. And you ought to have your right to vote. And you ought to have your right to protest things that are wrong. And, and we ought to be heard. But as far as the law, you and I are to obey it. I remember one time someone was speaking to my dad about... Uh, how he felt about the law. And my dad believed in law and government and obeying the laws of the land. And uh, someone said, well, Coleman says, you'd arrest your own brother, wouldn't you? And he says, yeah, if he broke the law. And he would have. He would have done that. He'd have walked right up and said, okay, you're under arrest. That's just the way he was. Because he believed that the fellow that broke the law had to, had to account for it. And that's the way it should be. And you and I are not exempt either. When we do something wrong, we're, we're, to be, we're to answer. And it says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. That it's God's will for us to do that. Here's the wisdom of submitting to the king. Here's the wisdom of submitting to authority. Verse 3 says, Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth. God is sovereign and will uh, punish rebellion. God himself is going to punish it. We're to submit to God as well as to the king. Verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And whoso, who, who may say unto him, What doest thou? We do not resist the power of the king. We do not resist the power of government. Therefore, we should certainly not resist the power of God. Remember, Jesus said, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. But he says, Render unto God the things which are God's. So we have a an obligation to render unto God. Well, our time is gone. We'll have to quit with verse 4. We'll pick up verse 5. Whoso keepeth the commandment. That'll be our next verse. Chapter 8 and verse 5. And there's some interesting things. And in chapter 9, there's a, an interesting little parable that I'll be anxious to get to in the ninth chapter.